Mythology Friends. I'm Kate. And I'm Other Jen. And I'm Kim. And we're the Drunk Drunk Girls. Thank God for Kim. She saved us from being in sync. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're fooling yourself. I zoomed so fast. There was no way you were catching up with me. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. Fool yourself. Whatever. Yeah. So anyway, let's fool everybody <laughs> with chapter 13 of Bram Stoker's Stroker's Dracula, celebrating the month of drunk Dracula gals, also called October. October. And I have questions about this being chapter 13. Like, is this going to be like bad luck chapter yes i looked ahead yes get the knives out oh Oh, (laughs) yes okay things take a turn in this chapter oh so it's appropriate that this is chapter 13 yeah okay Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah and for anybody who's just joining us go back to chapter one and start there the rest of you Drunk Dracula, gals, Dracula's public domain, all that. You've already heard it. I'm not going to go into it again. We love you, intellectual property lawyers. We're still hoping you'll sponsor us. Anybody at this point. Yeah, like, really. I, <laughs> we, know, should just put a, have, we should put like a hat out or something. If you have a loved one who has been diagnosed with mesothelioma. <laughs> Someone owes you money. <laughs> we can help. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> where are we going today? Back to England. All righty. What time is it? Recap time. Recap, recap, recap. The recap right. song. So <laughs> here we go. In chapter 12, Van Helsing is a master cock blocker because while Lucy is dying, he's like, oh, sir, give her a kiss. No, don't kiss her. No, okay, kiss her. No, just give her a longing look. Bye. When she dies, or does she? No, dun, it's not. Dun, dun. No, it's not a spoiler because this is Dracula and Brom Stroker. I will never not say that anymore. Doesn't write with a pen. He uses a two by four of obviousness dipped in the blood of innocent adjectives. Wow. Doctor Seward is in his fields. Lord Saltine Cracker. I mean Arthur Holmwood is also Ooh. in his fields. <laughs> right. And Quincy Morris is still salty about being a quaint afterthought. He's a man's man. Yeah. <laughs> Team Quincy. Renfield is up to shenanigans. Mina Harker is probably used to Lucy never replying to her letters because she just keeps writing in between nursing <laughs> Jonathan and practicing shorthand, I guess. Yep. And Van Helsing lo- just loves being all cryptic and shit because that is always so fucking helpful. Anyway, carry on. Oh, we begin boy. with Dr. Seward's diary. Continued. The funeral was arranged for the next succeeding day so that Lucy and her mother might be buried together. I attended to all the ghastly formalities and the urbane undertaker prove the urbane undertaker. (laughs) (laughs) Really? How you doing? How you digging? He proved that his staff were... (laughs) He's urbane. (laughs) He proved that his staff were afflicted or blessed with something of his own obsequious suavity. Somebody got a thesaurus for Christmas. (laughs) I told you, it's the two by four... (laughs) <laughs> bloody adjectives. Even the women who performed the last offices for the dead remarked to me in a confidential brother professional way when she'd come <clears throat> out from the death chamber. She makes a very beautiful corpse, sir. It's quite a privilege to attend on her. It's not too much to say that she will do credit to our establishment. All right. If anybody said that to me, I would get right on Yelp and fuck them up. 
Oh my god! What a horrible thing to say. Oh, all right, moving on. I noticed that Van Helsing never kept far away. This is possible from the distorted, disordered state of things in the household. There were no relatives at hand, and as Arthur had to be back the next day to attend his father's funeral, we were unable to notify anyone who should have been bidden. Under the circumstances, Van Helsing and I took it upon ourselves to examine papers, etc. He insisted upon looking over Lucy's papers himself. I asked him why, for I feared that he, being a foreigner, quote-unquote, Foreigner might Burner. not be aware. Foreigner might not be quite aware of English legal requirements, and so might be in ignorance, make some unnecessary trouble. He answered me, "I know, I know, but you forget. I am a lawyer as well as a doctor and a Mary Sue, but this <laughs> and is a not- ballerina and an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> you may call me Barbie when we are alone. <laughs> oh shit." <laughs> But this is not altogether for the law. You knew that. When you avoided the coroner, ha-ha, I have you. <laughs> it's more than just gangrene. I have more than him to avoid. There may be papers more, such as this. As he spoke, he took from his pocketbook the memorandum which had been in Lucy's breast and which, he had, which she had torn in her sleep. When you find anything of the solicitor who is for the late Mrs. Westendra, seal all her papers and write them tonight. For me, I watch here in the room and in Miss Lucy's old room all night and I myself search for what may be. It is not well that her very thoughts go into the hands of the strangers. I went on with my part of the work and in another <laughs> half hour had found the name and address of Mrs. Westenra's solicitor and had written to him. All the poor lady's papers were in order. Explicit directions regarding the place of burial were given. I had hardly sealed the letter when, to my surprise, Van Helsing walked into the room saying, Can I help you, friend John? I am free and, if I may, my service is to you. Have you got what you looked for? I asked, to which he replied. Eh, I did not look for any specific thing. I only hope to find, and find I have, all that there was. Only some letters to some chick named Mina, and a few memoranda, <laughs> and a new diary new begun. But I have them here, and we shall see for the present say nothing of them. I shall see that poor lad tomorrow evening, and with his sanction, I shall use some. When we had finished the work in hand, he said to me, And now, friend Jean, I think we may to bed. Mm, we mm. want sleep, both you and I. I mean, sleep. Mm. Yes. Sleep. To sleep. Uh-huh. And recuperate. Tomorrow, we shall have much to do. But for tonight, there is no need of us. Alas. Before turning in, we went to look at poor Lucy, because there's nothing that makes you want to turn in and go to bed like gawking at a dead chick. Uh, the that undertaker you were in love with. Had, that you were in love with. Right. The undertaker had certainly done his work well, for the room was turned into a small chapel ardent. I don't know what that means. Uh, it, uh, flower a pa- bower? Yeah, it's an old French. Yeah. Yeah. There was a wilderness of beautiful white flowers, and death was made as little repulsive as might be. The end of the winding sheet was laid over the face. When the professor bent over and turned it gently back, we both started at the beauty before us, the tall wax candles showing a sufficient light to note it well. All Lucy's loveliness had come back to her in death, and the hours had passed, instead of leaving traces of decay's effacing fingers, had but restored the beauty of life, till positively... I could not believe my eyes that I was looking at a corpse. She's a credit to the establishment. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Five stars. The professor looked sternly grave. He had not loved her as I had, and there was no need for tears in his eyes. He said to me, 
Remaine did all return. And left the room. He came back with a handful of wild garlic from the box waiting in the hall, but which had not had been opened, and placed the flowers among the others on and around the bed. Then he took from his neck inside his collar a little gold crucifix and placed it over the mouth. Again, I think it's interesting that they're now saying the mouth rather than her mouth. Mm-hmm. He restored the sheet to its place and we came away. I was undressing in my own room when, with a profanatory tap at the door, he entered and at once began to speak. Tomorrow, oh hey, you look nice. I want you to bring me before night a set of postmortem knives. Must we make an autopsy? I asked, shocked and horrified. <laughs> First of all, that you're asking me this now. Second of all, that you're asking me this at all. And third, that uh, you didn't even wait. And I just wa- and just walked in while yeah. I was changing. Yeah. Uh, yes and no. I want to operate, but you know, not as you think. Let me tell you now, but not a, not a word to another. I want to cut off her head and take out her heart. Oh, you! Oh, oh, no. oh, <laughs> you ah, you finger say what? <laughs> <laughs> you a certain and so shocked. Right. Who I have seen with no tremble of hand or art do operations of life or death that makes the rest shudder. Oh, oh, but I must not forget, dear friend Jean, that you loved her, huh? And I must not have forgotten it, for it is I that shall operate. And you must only help. Thanks, so you're still I guess. going to be in the room. Right? <laughs> Hold the bucket. <laughs> I would like to do it tonight, but uh, for Arthur, I must not. He will be free after his father's funeral tomorrow, and he will want to see her. I mean, to see it. Uh-huh. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. Then she is coffined yeah. and ready for the next day, you and I shall come when all are asleep. We shall unscrew the coffin lid and do our operation, and then replace all so that nobody knows save we alone. That was interesting that he corrected, yeah, corrected himself, himself calling, mm-hmm. saying her. And he, and he corrected it to the impersonal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think John actually speaks for all of us now when he says, <laughs> but why do it at all? Right? The girl is dead. Why mutilate her poor body without need? And if there's no necessity for a postmortem and nothing to gain by it, no good to her, to us, to science, to human knowledge, the readers, owls, <laughs> dogs, berserker, podcasters, <laughs> podcasters, why do it? Without such, it is monstrous. <laughs> for answer, he put his hand on my shoulder and said with infinite tenderness, my his bare shoulder friend john also don't touch me (laughs) (laughs) i pity your poor bleeding heart and i love you the more because it does so bleed (laughs) creepy fucking blood play if i could i would take on myself the burden that you do bear but there are things you may you know not uh that i could tell you but uh, you shall know but not yet because I like hiding things. And bless me for knowing uh, though they are not pleasant things. Jean, my child, you have been my friend now how many years? And yet did you and yet did you ever know me to do any without good cause? I may err, I am but man, but I believe in all I do. Was it not for these causes that you sent for me when the great trouble came? Yes. Were you not amazed, nay, horrified, when I would not let Arthur kiss his love, though she lay dying, and snatched him away by all my strengths? 
I am the brute. Yes. <laughs> and yet you saw how she thanked me with her so beautiful dying eyes. Her voice, too, so weak and so southern. And she kissed my <laughs> old rough hands and blessed me. Yes. And did you not hear me swear to promise to her that so she closed her eyes so grateful? Yes. Well, I have good reason now for all I want to do. You have for many years trusted me. You have believed me weeks past when there'll be things so strange that you might have well, doubt me. But be believe me yet a little, Frenjan. If you trust me not, then I must tell what I think, which would be obviously right. the thing to do. And that is not perhaps well. No, no, it is well. <laughs> and if I work as work, I shall no matter trust or not trust. Without my friend trusting me, I work with the heavy art and feel oh so lonely when I want all help and courage that may be. He paused a moment and went on <sighs> solemnly. Fanjon, there are strange and terrible days before us. Let us not be two, but one. Then <laughs> slowly work to good end. Will you not have faith in me? So basically he's saying, uh, Lucy blinked twice. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was code. I took his hand and promised him. I helped my door open as he went away and watched him go into his room and close the door. Just as in I case he like doubled back and right. Right, tried to touch me again. <laughs> As I stood without moving, I saw one of the mates pass silently along the passage. She had her back towards me, so did not see me, and go into the room where Lucy lay. The sight touched me. Devotion is so rare, and we are so grateful to those who show it unasked to those who we love. Here was a poor girl putting aside the terrors which she naturally had of death to go watch alone by the bier of her mistress, whom she loved, so that the poor clay might not be lonely till laid till eternal rest." With its head cut off. Right. I must have slept <laughs> I must have slept long and soundly, for it was broad daylight when Van Helsing waked me by coming into my room. Again? Warn to knock. <laughs> he came over to my bedside and said, You need not trouble about the knives. We shall not do it. Why not? Because now I was into it. <laughs> Why not? I asked, for his solemnity of the night before had greatly impressed me. Because he said sternly, It is too late. Oh, it is too early. See? Here he Here, held up the little gold crucifix. <laughs> this was stolen in the night. How stolen, I asked in wonder, since you have it now. Because I get it back from the worthless wretch who stole it, from the woman who robs the dead and the living. Her punishment will surely come, because you know it was the maid. But not through me. She knew not altogether what she did, and thus annoying, she only stole. Now me, we must wait. He went away with the word, leaving me with a new mystery to think of, a new puzzle to grapple with, because God forbid he should tell us what he obviously knows. <laughs> right. All right. The forenoon was a dreary time, but at noon the solicitor came, Mr. Marcond of Holman Sons, Marcond and Litterdale. They're excellent, by the way. He was very genial. <laughs> he was very genial and very appreciative of what we had done, and took off our hands all cares as to details. During lunch, he told us that Mrs. Westenra had, for some time, expected sudden death from her heart, and had put her affairs in absolute order. He informed us that, with the exception of a certain entailed property of Lucy's father, which now, in default of direct issue, went back to his distant branch of the family, the whole estate, real and personal, was left absolutely to Arthur Homewood. When he had told us so much, he went on. Frankly, we did our best to prevent such a testamentary disposition and pointed out certain contingencies that might leave her daughter either penniless or not so free as she should be to act regarding a matrimonial alliance. Indeed, 
we pressed the matter so far that we almost came into collision, for she asked us if we were or were not prepared to carry out her wishes. Of course, we had then no alternative but to accept. We were right in principle, and ninety-nine times out of a hundred we should have proved, by the logic of events, the accuracy of our judgment. He's not wrong, actually. I think that's what he's saying. I mean, There's no yeah. way to know. Yeah. Well, but I mean, he's trying to protect Lucy from having being forced to marry somebody right, in case she right. didn't want to. So, right. Frankly, however, I must admit that in this case, any other form of disposition would have rendered impossible the carrying out of her wishes. For by her predeceasing her daughter, the latter would have come into possession of the property and. Even had she only survived her mother by five minutes, her property would, in case there were no will, and a will was a practical impossibility in such a case, have been treated at her decree, her decease as under intestacy. I no will. I did not understand half of that. There's but. a little blue pill for that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in which case, Lord Godalming... Godalming. Which, which is Arthur, I learned. Lord to, Salting Cracker. Yeah, I had to backtrack. Wait, who's Lord Godalming? Because uh, he got a promotion when his father died. Mm -hmm. uh, though so dear a friend would have had no claim in the world, and the inheritors, being remote, would not be likely to abandon <laughs> their just rights for sentimental reasons regarding an entire stranger. I assure you, my dear sirs, I am rejoiced at the result perfectly rejoiced and awkward really <laughs> they're both dead all of our problems are solved right? he was a good fellow but his rejoicing at the one little part in which he was officially interested of so great a tragedy was an object lesson in the limitations of sympathetic understanding you got that right bram right hey look he got his check that's all that matters <laughs> <laughs> he did not remain long, but he said he would look in later in the day and see Lord Godalming. His coming, however, had been a certain comfort to us, since it assured us that we should not have to dread hostile criticism as to any of our acts. Because nobody knows. Right? Arthur was expected at five o'clock, so a little time before that, we visited the death chamber. It was so in very truth, for no, both, both mother and daughter lay in it. The undertaker, true to his craft, had made the best display he could of his goods. Gross. <laughs> Jesus. And there was a mortuary air about the place that lowered our spirits at once. You think? Van Helsing ordered the former arrangements to be adhered to, explaining that, as Lord Godalming was coming very soon, it would be less harrowing to his feelings to see all that was left of his fiancée quite alone. The undertaker seemed shocked at his own stupidity and exerted himself to restore things to the condition in which we left them the night before, so that when Arthur came, such shocks to his feelings as we could avoid were saved. Poor fellow. He looked desperately sad and broken. Even his stalwart manhood seems to have shrunk somewhat. Stop. Under the strain of his much tried There's a emotions. pill for that. <laughs> he had, I knew, had been very genuinely and devotedly attached to his father, and to lose him, and at such a time, was a bitter blow to him. With me, he was as warm as ever, and to Van Helsing, he was sweetly courteous, but I could not help seeing that there was some constraint with him. I wonder why. The professor noticed it too and motioned me to bring him upstairs. I did so and left him at the door of the room as I felt he would like to be quite alone with her. But he took my arm and led me in saying huskily. You loved her too, old fellow. She told me all about it. 
and there was no friend had a closer place in her heart than you. I don't know how to thank you for all you have done for her. I can't think yet. Here he suddenly broke down, threw his arms round my shoulders, and lay his head on my breast, crying. Aw. Oh, Jack. Jack, what shall I do? The whole of life seems gone from me all at once, and there is nothing in the wide world for me to live for. I wonder if there's an, I like an acting award for podcasting, because you should get a speech ready. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I comforted him as well as I could. In such cases, men do not need much expression. A grip of the hand, the tightening of an arm over the shoulder, a sob in unison are expressions of sympathy dear to a man's heart because we push it down and bottle it up. I thought he like threw his arms around him and was sobbing, right? (laughs) I stood still and silent till the sobs died away. And then I said softly to him, come and look at her. Together, we moved over to the bed and I lifted the lawn from her face. God, how beautiful she was. Every hour seemed to be enhancing her loveliness. It frightened and amazed me somewhat. And as for Arthur, he fell a-trembling and finally was shaken with doubt as with an ague. At last, after a long pause, he said to me in a faint whisper, Is she really dead? I assured him sadly that it was so and went on to suggest, for I felt that such a horrible doubt should not have life for a moment longer than I could help, that it often happened that after death faces softened and even resolved into their youthful beauty. I looked it up on Google. Right. This was especially so <laughs> Google when images, death been, faces of horror. <laughs> right. This was especially so when death had been preceded by an acute or prolonged suffering. It seemed to quite do away with any doubt, and after kneeling besides the couch for a while and looking at her lovingly and long, he turned aside. <laughs> I told him that it must be goodbye, as the coffin had to be prepared. So he went back and took her dead hand in his and kissed it, and bent over and kissed her forehead. He came away, fondly looking back over his shoulder as he came. I left him in the drawing room and told Van Helsing that he had said goodbye, so the latter went to the kitchen to tell the undertaker's men to proceed with the preparations and to screw up the coffin. (laughs) I love that. I told him of Arthur's question, and he replied, I'm not surprised. Just now, I doubted for a moment myself. We all dined together, and I could see that poor Art was trying to make the best of things. Van Helsing had been silent all dinner time, but when we had lit our cigars, he said, Lord. But Arthur interrupted him. No, 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 not that. For God's sake, not yet at any rate. Forgive me, sir. I do not mean to speak offensively. It is only because my loss is so recent. Dad. The The professor answered very sweetly. I only use that name because I was in doubt. I must not call you Mr. And I have gone to love you. Yes, my dear boy, to love you. (laughs) As Arthur. Arthur held out his hand and took the old man's warmly. Call me what you will. He's darling. He said, (laughs) I hope I may always have the title of a friend. And let me say that I am at a loss for words to thank you for your goodness to my poor dear. He paused a moment and went on. I know that she understood your goodness even better than I do. And if I was rude or in any way wanting at that time you acted so, you remember. The professor nodded. You must forgive me. He answered with grave kindness. I know it was hard for you to 
quite trust me then, for to trust such violence needs to understand. And I take it that you do not, that you cannot trust me now, for you do not yet understand. And like, I'm not doing anything to help you understand. (laughs) 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 And there'll be maybe more times when I shall want your trust when you cannot and may not and must not yet understand. God, this guy's on such a power trip. But the time will come when your trust shall be all and complete in me, and when you shall understand though the sunlight himself shine through, then you shall bless me from your first to last for your own sake, and for the sake of others, and for her dear sake, to whom I swore to protect. And indeed, indeed, sir, said Arthur warmly, I shall in all ways trust you. I know and believe you have a very noble heart, and you are Jack's friend, and you were hers. You shall do what you like. And that's how you groom someone. <laughs> the <laughs> professor cleared his throat a couple of times as though about to speak and finally said, <clears throat> May I ask you something now? <laughs> Certainly. You know that uh, Mrs. Westenra left you all her property. No, poor dear. I never thought of it. We're in the money. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, as it is all yours, you have a right to deal with it as you will. I want you you to give me permission to read all Miss Lucy's papers and letters. Believe me, it is no idle curiosity, or is it? I have a motive of which, be sure, she would have approved. I have them all here. I took them before we knew that all was yours, so that no strange hand might touch them. No strange eye looks through the worlds into her soul. I shall keep them if I may. Even you may not see them yet, (laughs) haha, but I shall keep them safe. No worlds shall be lost, and in good time I shall give them back to you. It is a hard thing I ask, but you will do it, will you not, for dear Lucy's sake? Arthur spoke out heartily like his old self. Dr. Van Helsing, you may do what you will. I feel that in saying this, I am doing what my dear one would have approved. I shall not trouble you with questions till the time comes. The old professor stood up as he said solemnly, And you are right. There will be pain for all of us, but it will not be all pain. Nor will this pain be the last. What? The fuck? (laughs) Cult leader, we and you too, you most of all, my dear boy, will have to pass through the bitter water before we reach the sweet. But we must be brave of heart and unselfish and do our duty and all will be well. I slept on a sofa in Arthur's room that night. Van Helsing did not go to bed at all. He went to and fro as if patrolling the house and was never out of sight of the room where Lucy lay in her coffin, strewn with the wild garlic flowers, which sent through the odor of lily and rose a heavy, overpowering smell in the night. Oh, Oh, Mina's back. Mina's back. Mina! Mina! Maybe they'll go to the harbor. Uh, 22nd September in the train to Exeter. Jonathan sleeping. It seems only yesterday that the last entry was made, and yet how much between then and Whitby and all the world before me? Jonathan away and no news of him, and now married to Jonathan. Jonathan a solicitor, a partner, rich master of his business. (laughs) Mr. Hawkins dead and buried, and Jonathan with another attack that may harm him. This is a fantastic recap, Mina. (laughs) Right? Almost as good as have saved 45 minutes worth of dialogue. Someday he may ask, he ask about it. 
down it all goes. I am rusty in my shorthand. See what unexpected prosperity does for us? I don't need shorthand anymore. I'm writing longhand. <laughs> hire it, bitch. <laughs> so, no, maybe well to freshen it up again with an exercise anyhow. The service was simple and very solemn. There were only ourselves and the servants there. One or two old friends of his from Exeter, his London agent, and a gentleman representing Sir John Paxton, the president of the Incorporated Law Society. Jonathan and I stood hand in hand, and we felt that our best and dearest friend was gone from us. We came back to town quietly, taking a bus to Hyde Park Corner. Jonathan thought it would interest me to go to the row for a while, so we sat down, but there were very few people there, and it was sad-looking and desolate to see so many empty chairs. It made us think of the empty chair at home, so we got up and walked down Piccadilly. Jonathan was holding me by the arm the way he used to do in old days before I went to school. It felt very improper. You can't go on for some years teaching etiquette and decorum to other girls without the pedantry of it biting yourself a bit. <laughs> but it was Jonathan and he was my husband and we didn't know anybody who saw us and I could have entered a wet t-shirt contest because no one around knew us. And if we, we didn't care if they did. So on we walked. I was looking at a very beautiful girl in a big cartwheel hat sitting in the Victoria outside Giuliano's when I felt Jonathan clutch my arm so tight that he hurt me. And he said under his breath, my God, I'm always anxious about Jonathan for fear that some nervous fit may upset him again. So I turned to him quickly and asked him what was it that disturbed him? He was very pale and his eyes seemed bulging out half in terror and half in amazement. He gazed at a tall, thin man with a beaky nose and a black mustache and pointed beard who was also observing the pretty girl. He was looking at her so hard that he did not see either of us, and so I had a good view of him. His was not a good, not a good face. Mm -mm. It was hard and cruel and <laughs> sensual, and his big white teeth that he all looked all the whiter because his lips were so red were pointed like an animal's. Jonathan kept staring at him till I was afraid he would notice. I feared he might take it ill. He looked so fierce and nasty. I asked Jonathan why he was disturbed, and he answered, evidently thinking I knew about it uh, much as much about it as he did. Do you see who it is? No, dear, I said. I don't know him. Who is it? His answer seemed to shock and thrill me, for he said as if he did not know that it was to me, Mina, to whom he was speaking. It is the man himself. The poor dear was evidently terrified at something, very greatly terrified. I do believe that if he had not had me to lean on and to support him, he would have sunk down. He kept staring. A man came out of the shop with a small parcel and gave it to the lady who then drove off. The dark man kept his eyes fixed on her, and when the carriage moved up Piccadilly, he followed in the same direction and hailed a hansom. Jonathan kept looking after him and said as if to himself, I believe it is the Count. But he has grown young. All those my, Korean skincare treatments and mud packs. Right? My God, if this be so. Oh my God, my God. If I only knew, if I only knew. He was distressing himself so much I feared for his mind on the subject by asking him too many questions. So I remained silent. I drew him away quietly and he holding my arm came easily. We walked a little further and then went in and sat for a while in the green park. It was a hot day for autumn, and there was a comfortable seat in a shady place. After a few minutes staring at nothing, Jonathan's eyes closed, and he went quietly into his sleep with his head on my shoulder. I thought it was best thing for him, so I did not disturb him. In about 20 minutes, he woke up and said to me quite cheerfully, Why, Mina, have I been asleep? Oh, do forgive me for being so rude. Come, we'll have a cup of tea somewhere. 
he had evidently forgotten all about the dark stranger <laughs> as his illness he had forgotten all about this episode had reminded him of. I don't like this lapsing into forgetfulness. It may make or continue some injury of the brain. I must not ask him for fear I shall do more harm than good, but I must somehow learn the facts of his journey abroad. The time has come, I fear, when I must open that parcel and know what is written. <laughs> oh, Jonathan, you will, I know, forgive me if I do wrong, but it's for your own dear sake. Later, a sad coming homecoming in every way, the house empty of the dear soul who is so good to us. Jonathan, still pale and dizzy under a slight relapse of his malady, and now a telegram from Van Helsing, whoever the hell he is, <laughs> whoever he may be. You will be grieved to hear that uh, Mrs. Westenrod died five days ago and that Lucy died the day before yesterday. They were both buried today. Bye-bye. <laughs> the fuck? Oh. <laughs> Well, oh, what a wealth of sorrow in a few words. Poor Mrs. Westerner, poor Lucy, God, God, never to return to us. And poor, poor Arthur, to have lost such sweetness out of his life. God help us to bear all our troubles. <laughs> Dr. Seward's Diary, 22nd September. It is all over. Arthur has gone back to ring and he's taken Quincy Morris with him. What a Light fine up. fellow he is, Quincy. <laughs> I believe in my heart of hearts that he suffered as much about Lucy's death as any of us, but he bore himself like through it like a moral Viking. Because when I think of morality, I think of Vikings. <laughs> right? No dog whistles <laughs> there. If America can go on breeding men like that, she will be a power in the world indeed. Don't oh. just say you have a crush on him and move on. <laughs> that that didn't turn out so well, America. Just saying. No. Yeah. <laughs> Van Helsing is lying down, having a rest preparatory to his journey. He goes over to Amsterdam tonight, but says he returns tomorrow night that he only wants to make some arrangements which can only be made personally. He is to stop with me then if he can. He says he has work to do in London, which may take some time. Poor old fellow. I fear the strain of the past week has broken down even his iron strength. All the time of the burial, he was, I could see, putting some terrible restraint on himself. When it was all over, we were standing beside Arthur, who, poor fellow, was speaking of his part in the operation, where his blood has been transfused to Lucy's veins. I could see Van Helsing grow white and purple by turns. That's what? not good. <laughs> Arthur was saying that he felt since the, uh, then that as if the two of them had really been married and that she was his wife in the sight of God. None of us said a word of the other operations and none of us ever shall. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can understand that. <laughs> I, okay, Frida, time to get off my desk. There we go. Arthur and Quincy went away together to the station and Van Helsing and I came on here. The moment we were alone in the carriage, he gave way to a regular fit of hysterics. He's denied to me since then it was hysterics and insisted that it was only his sense of humor asserting itself under very terrible conditions. He laughed till he cried and I had to draw down the blinds lest anyone should see us and misjudge. And then he cried till he laughed again and laughed and cried together just as a woman does. Oh, oh come on. I tried to be stern with him as one is to a woman under the circumstances, but it had no effect. Try slapping him across the face. That does wonder. Men and women are so different in manifestations of nervous strength or weakness. Are they? Then, Did you just are say they? they weren't? Oh, my God. Are they? Then, when his face grew grave and stern again, I asked him why his mirth and why at such a time. His reply was in a way characteristic of him, for it was logical and forceful and mysterious. And not helpful. And, and completely incomprehensible, if you ask me. He And wait till you hear this. He said, Ha ha, you don't comprehend, friend John. 
do not think that I am not sad, though I laugh. <laughs> See, I have even cried while the laugh did shock me. But no more think that I am all sorry when I cry for the laugh. He come just the same. <laughs> Keep it always with you, that laughter who knock at your door and say, may I come in? It is not the true laughter. No, he is a king. And he come when he... When and how he like, he asks no person. He choose no time of suitability. He say, I am here. Behold, an example, I grieve my heart out for that poor sweet young girl. I give my blood for her, though I am old and worn. I give my time, my skill, my sleep. I let my other sufferers want so that she may have all. And yet, I laugh at her very grave. Laugh when the day, when the clay from the spade of the sexton drop upon her coffin and say, dun, dun. To my heart, <laughs> till it send back the blood from my cheek. My heart bleed for that poor boy, that dear boy. So the age of my own boy, had I been so blessed that he live. And with his hair and eyes the same. Ooh, creepy. Uh, there, now you know why I love him so. Yeah. And yet, when he says a thing that touch my husband out to the quick and make my father out yearn to him as no other man, not even you, friend John. <laughs> for we are more level in experience than the father and the son yet even at such a moment king laugh he come to me and shout and bellow in my ear here i am here i am till the blood come uh dance back and bring some of the sunshine that he carry with him to my cheek oh friend jean it is a strange world a sad world a world full of miseries and woes and troubles and yet when king laugh come he makes them all dance to the tune he play. Bleeding hearts and dry bones of the churchyard and tears that burn as they fall all dance together to the music he make with the smileless mouth of him. And believe me, friend John, that he is good to come and kind. Ah, we men and women are like ropes drawn tight with the strains that pull us different ways. The Tears come and like the rain on the ropes, they brace us up until perhaps the strain become too great and we break. But Kim laugh, he come uh, like the sunshine and he ease off the strain again. And we bear to go on with our labor, what it may be. Like the song says, I'm kind of guy that laughs at a funeral. Don't understand what I mean. Well, you soon will. That's basically oh, what he's saying, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. And he could have said it in literally two sentences. Yes. Yeah. I did not like to wound him by pretending not to see his idea, but as yet I did not understand the cause of his laughter. I asked him, and he asked me, and he answered me. His face grew quite stern, and he said it in quite a different tone. Oh, it was the grim irony of it all that this so lovely lady garlanded with the flowers and the garlic that looked so fair as life till one by one we wondered if she was truly dead. She laid in that so fine marble house in the lonely churchyard where rest so many of her kin, laid there with her mother who loved her, whom she loved, and that sacred bell going toll, 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 so sad and slow, and those holy men with the white garments of the angel pretending to read their books, and yet all the time their eyes never on the page, and all of us with bowed head. And all for what? She is dead. So, is it not? Uh, well, for the life of me, Professor, I said, I can't see anything to laugh at in all that. Why, your explanation makes it a harder puzzle than before. But even if the burial service was comic, what about poor Art and his trouble? Why, his heart was simply breaking. Just so. Said he not that the transfusion of his blood to her veins made her truly his bride? 
Yes, and it was a sweet and comforting and slightly creepy, frankly, idea for him. Yes. <laughs> uh, quite so. But there was a difficulty, Franjan. If so, that uh, then what about the others? Ho 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 ho! Oh, brother. Then the so sweet maid is polyandrist. Oh. And me with my poor wife, that me, but alive by Shosh's laws. Don't know it's all gone. I, who am ever faithful husband to this now no wife, am bigamist. I don't see where that joke's come in there either, I said, getting increasingly freaked out. And I did not feel particularly pleased with him for saying such things. He laid his hand on my arm and said, Friend John, forgive me if I pain. I should not my feeling to others when it would wound, but only to you because you don't matter. My old friend whom I can trust. If you could have looked into my very art, then when I want to laugh, if you could have done so when the laugh arrived, if you could do so now when King Laugh back up his ground and all his that is to him, for he go far, far away from me, and for a long, long time. Maybe you would perhaps pity me the most of all. I was touched by the tenderness of his tone and asked why. Because I know. And now we are all scattered, and for many long days loneliness will sit over our roofs with brooding wings. Lucy lies in the tomb of her kin, a lordly death house in a lonely churchyard away from teeming London, where the air is fresh and the sun rises over Hampstead Hill, and where wildflowers grow of their own accord. So I can finish this diary, and God only and knows if right, and God only knows if I shall ever begin another. If I do, or if I even open this again, it will be to deal with different people and different themes. For here at the end, where the romance of my life is told, ere I go back to take up the threads of my life's work, I say sadly, and without hope. Finny. Oh, I'm wiping away a tear. Well. I'm nope. wiping away a tear over here. Nope, not going to age. Oh, good. It's another news story. <laughs> it is. And it's the Westminster Gazette. Third worst reporter in the world. <laughs> Third worst. 25 September. A Hampstead mystery. The neighborhood of Hampstead is just at present exercised with a series of events which seem to run on lines parallel to those of what was known to the writers of headlines as the Kensington Horror or the Stabbing Woman or the Woman in Black. During the past two or three days, several cases have occurred of young children straying from home or neglecting to return from their playing on the heath. In all these cases, the children were too young to give any properly intelligible account of themselves, but the consensus of their excuses is that they had been with a bloofer lady. What the hell is bloofer? Beautiful, I guess. Okay. It has always been late in the evening when they have been missed, and on two occasions the children have not been found until early in the following morning. It is generally supposed in the neighborhood that as the first child missed gave as his reason for being away that a bloofer lady had asked him to come for a walk, the others had picked up the phrase and used it as occasion served. This is the more natural as the favorite game of the little ones at present is luring each other away by wiles. Bad choice of games. <laughs> yeah, right. A correspondent writes us that to see some of the tiny tots pretending to be the bloofer lady is supremely funny. Some of our caricatures... King Laugh. <laughs> right. King Laugh is back. 
Some of our caricaturists might, he says, take a lesson in the irony of grotesque by comparing the reality and the picture. It is only in accordance with general principles of human nature that the bloofer lady should be the popular role at these alfresco performances. Our correspondent naively says that even Ellen Terry could not be so winningly attractive as some of these grubby-faced little children pretend and even imagine themselves to be. There is, however, <laughs> possibly a serious side to the question, for some of the children, indeed all who have been missed at night, have been slightly torn or wounded in the throat. The wounds seem such as might be made by a cat or a small dog, and although of not much importance individually, would tend to show that whatever animal inflicts them has a system or method of its own. Animals are famous for that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, very systematic. The police of the division have been instructed to keep a sharp lookout for straying children, especially when very young, in and around Hampstead Heath and for any stray dog which may be about. I mean, look, I've had dog bites and cat bites before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not on my throat. I'm just saying, like, yeah. What about safety pin? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the Westminster, <laughs> Don't trigger me. Yeah. <laughs> the Westminster Gazette, 25 September, extra special, the Hampstead <laughs> Horror, another child injured, the bloofer lady. We have just received intelligence that another child missed last night was only discovered late in the morning under a furze bush at the Shooter's Hill side of Hampstead Heath, which is perhaps less frequented than the other parts. It has the same tiny wound in the throat as has been noticed in other cases. It was terribly weak and looked quite it? emaciated. Yeah, saying it. It, too, when partially restored, had the common story to tell of being lured away by the Bloofer Lady. Dun, dun. And that's where we will stop for today. But no, we have to know what happens. Who could the Bloofer Lady possibly be? Who could it be? I got Kate? a two by four over here for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh... Kate, what's coming up tomorrow, please? please. Uh, so tomorrow we have The Promise About Harker's Diary Ages Really Well, Van Helsing toys with Mina and Dr. Seward because of course he does, and Jonathan decides to start writing in his diary again unless he changes his mind. Brother. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash drunkmythologygals. That's right. The month of October, we have Drunk Dracula Gals tier for only $1. You can get all these Dracula episodes as soon as they are finished producing. But wait, we there's duct more. tape the edges together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> might be some arts and crafts projects. It's not on, on fire. It's not. No. <laughs> um, you also get access to all of our other Lit Crit Hour episodes, fairy tales, uh, lots of... there. It, it's... It's, it's all the things. Yes, it's all the things. <laughs> so thanks again for joining us. Please subscribe, leave a rating or review, and tell your friends and family about us, especially if they're like, I just came for a funeral from a funeral, and look, here's a news article about a bloofer lady. What's a bloofer lady? I don't know. You bloofer lady? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? <laughs> Finally, always remember, if the undead can behave badly, then so can you. Bye.